0: It's been in my house a boys weekend as my wife and daughter were down in Rosarito and excited to have them coming home, but um, today we've got a great portion of scripture to look forward to in Hebrews chapter 11, so you can open your Bible there. Hebrews 11, we're continuing on in this well-known and well-loved section of Hebrews. Hebrews 11 has been called the Hall of Faith and The reason it's called that is because it highlights the various men and women who lived and died before the first coming of Jesus. These are Old Testament saints who were looking forward to the coming of Messiah. And they had failures for sure, but they also had genuine faith in God's promises. And today we're going to consider one man and one woman in particular And that is Abraham and Sarah. So let's first read God's true and living word. And it's in Genesis, uh, sorry, not Genesis. We're going to read a lot from Genesis today, but uh, Hebrews 11, verse 8 through 16 is the text that we'll study. So uh, let me read, and then we'll dive in. It says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. If they've been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you today thanking you that you are the the living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the God who has made many precious promises to us, Lord. And we want to apprehend your promises by faith, and we thank you that it is by grace that we come into this heavenly calling to which we've been called. Thank you that you have prepared for us a city whose designer and builder is God. And uh, I pray we look in faith to what you're going to do today in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, let me quickly remind you how Hebrews chapter 11 started. It it started off with a definition of faith, saying that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And the idea is that we can take God at His word, You know, God has made promises to us and even when we can't see those promises fulfilled right in front of us, we can trust that God promised and he's faithful to do what he says he's gonna do. And so the writer is gonna use sort of this definition of faith, almost like a thesis statement, a a springboard to now give examples of peoples whose stories are told in the Old Testament. Um, By repeating those words By faith, he shows that it's always been by faith that God is pleased with man and that God rewards those who seek him when they seek him with their whole heart. And so last Sunday, you know, we considered the faith of Abel and the faith of Enoch and the faith of Noah and their testimonies, their lives were recorded for us in Genesis chapters 4 through 10. And Enoch, one of the guys we looked at last Sunday, he only had a few short verses mentioned about him in Genesis 5 to describe his 365-year life. Just a few short verses. Whereas in Genesis chapter 11, we're introduced to a man named Abram, or Abraham, the son of Terah. And he had a wife named Sarai. And their story is told all the way up through Genesis 25. So from Genesis 11 to Genesis 25, proportionately in both the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, this man Abraham gets a lot of screen time. And what we're going to see today is that Abraham is a very important person in the plans and purposes of God. Perhaps you may or may not be aware of this, but... Did you know that the three major religions of the world, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, all trace roots back to Abraham? Over half the population of the world sees this man, Abraham, as a very important figure in their religious history. And look, what this means for us is that by one man, We are still living out the rewarding of his faith, and we're also still living out the repercussions of his failures. Have you seen the news this month? Right? I'm going to touch on that a bit as we go along, but we look at this man, Abraham, and his wife, Sarah, and we see first that they lived in Ur of the Chaldeans, also known as Mesopotamia. And the Mesopotamians were known for their idol worship. They were actually a very sophisticated society, uh, but they also looked to things like astrology and they worshiped the moon and the stars and all of these things. And Joshua 24.2 tells us that Abraham and his family served other gods when they lived in Ur of the Chaldeans. But then the true and living God appeared to Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia. And he called him to come out from that land and to come out from those people because God was going to give him a new land and he was going to make from him a new people. And so Abraham responded to God's calling. And that's when God made a promise to him saying that he would give Abraham his own land and his own people. And that land is the land of Canaan, which is modern day Israel. And the people are the Jews the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob, who was Abraham's grandson, was renamed Israel and he had 12 sons. Those 12 sons became the heads of 12 tribes that would eventually inhabit the land that God promised to Abraham and his descendants. And so look, the book, the Bible, it is a book of faith, but did you also know it's a book of history? It's a book of history. It tells us about people in these real times, in these real places. And and so Stephen, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 7, explains Israel's history uh, before the religious leaders as they're about to stone him for his faith in Jesus. So right before dying, this is what Stephen says about Abraham, Again, this is Acts chapter 7, verse 2 through 6. It says, And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred, and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. And they were in Israel at the time. Verse 5, yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years. Now look, if you're a little bit lost at this point, uh, you just want to keep listening, but you're also going to want to do this. You're going to want to go back into the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, and read from chapter 11 to chapter 25 to get the full scoop on Abraham's life story and what that means for your faith. But if there's one key section... One key section that I want to draw from in all of those chapters to tell us a little bit about Abraham, it would be his calling that happened in Genesis chapter 12, verse one through seven. So let's read that text. It says, now the Lord said to Abram, he was named Abram before God renamed him Abraham. So don't get confused there. Same guy. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram prom- uh, passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So God called Abraham and he gave him that promise. And Abraham believed that God would do what he said he would do. God said, I'm going to give you a land and I'm going to give you people and Abraham obeyed God in faith. And then it says in Romans chapter 4 verse 11 that he became the father of all who believe to the Jews and all of the Gentile nations that are blessed through the covenant that God made with Abraham. So with all that history, and trust me, there's so much more but you're going to want to go read for yourself Genesis chapter 11 to Genesis chapter 25 to, to, to dig out more. But we come back to Hebrews chapter 11 and things are hopefully going to now make a little bit more sense to us when we read this verse. Hebrews eleven eight says, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. So it was by faith. It was, again, having the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed God when he was called. So verse 8 shows us two very important components of faith. Faith includes a calling, and faith includes Obedience. To have faith in God, God must call you to Himself. And the great thing is that Jesus gives the call for all to come to Him. That's why He says, Whosoever believes or whosoever desires to come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. It's a call to come. And so if you're wondering right now whether or not God has called you, he has. (laughs) And he says, come, come to me. But, you know, we have a part to play as well. We have to obey God when he calls us. See, faith is not passive. Faith is active obedience in the things that God has called us to do. Therefore, this is Abraham's situation, right? God called him To go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. So Abraham was living in Ur of the Chaldeans. And his family at the time uh, was with him when he was called. But, But they were called to go out and to move to a place. But they went to a place that was called Haran. And they settled there. But we know, right, Haran is not the place that God was calling Abraham to which shows us that Abraham only had partial obedience. And this is going to come up time and time again in Abraham's life, where he will do what God tells him to do, but only partially, you know, only halfway. And he'll often do things in his own ways instead. And God is, is not looking for this half faith. God wants fully obedient faith that is done His way. But the wonderful thing about our merciful and gracious God is that He can work with little faith, and He can work with partial faith. God wants to grow you in your faith that you would fully trust Him, but even with what little faith we have, God can still work. And so we know that Abraham does eventually set out from Haran, but notice what it says. It says, and he went out not knowing where he was going. And that's exactly when faith is required. When we don't know where in the world God is leading us, when we don't know how in the world God is going to get us there, that is when faith is required. And that's what obedient faith looks like. Obedient faith is this, it's when you trust that God has called you, and then you take steps of faith in that direction. You believe that God will be with you the entire way through, even in a misstep. You rest on the fact that He who promised is faithful, even when we are faithless or have very little faith. You believe that God will always follow through on the things that He has promised. And then you wait, and you watch, and you see all the ways that God works through obedient faith. But even still, there's this element where you can't see what will happen at the time of the calling. You know, when God called me and my family to plant this church, in the middle of a pandemic, and we were still living in Santa Barbara, and God was calling us to move down here. We didn't know a single person. I didn't see any of this. I couldn't see ahead and know that this is what it was going to look like, but I knew that God had called me, and we took obedient steps of faith in that direction. And so, so faith is conviction of things not seen. And Abraham did not know where he was going or even how he was going to get there, but he trusted that God would be with him. And isn't that exactly what faith is? You you might not know how, who, what, where, when, why. All of those questions may be a big blank in your life, but the biggest thing that you know is this. God is with you. And if God is with you, who can be against you? And if he's with you, you can take obedient steps of faith. And so verse 9 says, by faith, he went to live in the land of promise. As in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. As, As we read earlier, and as you can go read more in depth later by reading Genesis chapter 11 to verse 25, to learn more about Abraham's faith by the way that's the third time i've mentioned to go read genesis 11 to verse uh, 11 chapter 11 to chapter 25 but abraham eventually did arrive in the land of canaan and he lived in that land and the land is called here in hebrews 11:9 the land of promise those are important words because Israel is not just people, but also lands. And there are specific promises that God has made concerning both the people and the land of Israel. And God's promises, newsflash, God's promises cannot be broken and God's promises cannot be changed. So God promised a specific geographical portion of land as an inheritance to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The people are called the Jews, and the land is called Israel, and both have promises of God over them. Now, Israel is currently being lived in by many Jews, people who are the direct descendants of Abraham. And they are heirs with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob of this same promise. However, Israel is also currently being lived in by many Arabs, people who are also descendants of Abraham, but through Abraham's first son, Ishmael. So the big question today is, which descendants of Abraham hold promise to the land? Well, the Bible teaches that the land was promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The land of Canaan, which at one time was a foreign land, has forever been given as the land of promise to Abraham's descendants. The Bible teaches that the land of Israel belongs to the Jews. Let me say that again. The Bible teaches that the land of Israel belongs to the Jews, and this is to be accepted by faith because faith is believing in the promises of God. However, what we will see is because of Abraham's failures and half-obedience, there has been much conflict and strife over the land of Israel, even as we're seeing right now. But when Abraham came into that foreign land, it was being lived in by the Canaanites. And so Abraham dwelled in tents all his days. You know, the only plot of land that Abraham possessed for himself in his lifetime is the grave that he buried his wife in, and that he and his sons and grandson were buried in with their wives It was the cave of Machpelah, and that is where the patriarchs of Israel were buried. And and that is what Stephen meant when he said, while he was alive, Abraham had for himself no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length. So that means that Abraham was a sojourner, a tent dweller, living in a foreign land. And and, you know, you might kind of think that's a bit of a bust, Because here Abraham's being told he's going to have land, he's going to have people. And he gets there, and that land is inhabited by by these uh, Canaanites and, and, and all of their descendants. And there's one big problem. Abraham and Sarah can't have kids. Sarah's womb was barren, and so how could Abraham have all of these descendants? Well, verse 11 By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Again, for the sake of time, I can't cover all of Genesis chapter 11 to chapter 25. (laughs) But if any of these stories are new to you, you're going to want to go read the book of Genesis to inform your faith. Because look, as. This is the bedrock of our faith. And so Genesis chapter 11, verse 30 says, Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. The Bible also says that Sarah was very beautiful. And this got Abraham into a few sticky situations, but you're going to have to go read if you want to hear those stories. Um, But the stickiest of all situations was when Abram and Sarah had been living in Canaan for 10 years. 10 years they'd been living in tents. And, and, And they had been told, this is going to be your land. But they're living in tents as pilgrims, sojourners, exiles, just living in this land. It's belonging to other people. And you know what? They still have no children. And so they felt the need to do something to help God's promise come through. Oh, no, 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 no. We do that, right? Oh, God, I know you promised, but here, let me do this. No, don't do that. And so they decided that it would be a good idea for Sarah to give her servant Hagar to Abraham as a second wife. Oh, no. Don't do that. So that she could have these children that God's talking about. God's promising all these descendants to Abraham, and they ain't coming through me, so we got to figure this thing out. And so Abraham went into Hagar, and she conceived and bore a son named Ishmael. And when Sarah saw that Hagar had conceived, Sarah showed contempt toward Hagar, and Abraham said to Sarah, well, she's your servant. Do with her what you want telling us the kind of man that Abraham was. And so Sarah drove Hagar away, but a similar promise of God was given to Hagar that she would bear a son and that from her offspring would also come great multitudes. The Lord said to Hagar in Genesis sixteen twelve that her son would be a wild donkey of a man and that his hand would be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And so Ishmael is the forefather of many of the Arab nations, and it is through Ishmael that the religion of Islam traces its history back to Abraham. Now, this might be all new for some of you, but but again, these stories are history. They most certainly pertain to our faith, but they also pertain to to the current events even happening right now in the Middle East. And this is what I meant when I said a few weeks ago to have the news about Israel in one hand and to have your Bible in the other hand because the Bible is going to give understanding to what is happening in our world right now. God has promises that are still being fulfilled. Promises for the church, but also promises for Israel, promises for the Jewish people. And so keep watching with eyes of faith at the things that God is doing and read your Bible. Now, Abraham loved Sarah and they grew old together. And the promise of children with Sarah seemed like it just wasn't going to come through. And so when Abraham was 99 years old and Sarah was 90, God made a covenant with Abraham. And it was a covenant that was marked with a name change and circumcision. God renamed Abram, Abraham, and he renamed Sarai, Sarah. And we read this in Genesis chapter 17, verse 15 through 21. We see this promise of God to Abraham and Sarah, where it says, God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall call her name Sarah. Or you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, no, but Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. So verse 11, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. So Abraham and Sarah believed God. Not, not all at once. In fact, Sarah laughed when God said that she was going to give him a son. God's like, why are you laughing? And, and, and she, she retreats. But then she does receive a son in her womb And that child grows, and then that child is born, and she names that son Isaac, which means laughter. So she laughed in unbelief, but she also laughed in faith, knowing that God did promise what to her was impossible. See, when things look to be impossible and even are impossible by natural means, we have a God of power a God who can supernaturally do the impossible. And God promised a son to Abraham and Sarah, and sure enough, a son was born. They named him Isaac, and he was an heir of the same promise to Abraham. Isaac then had two sons, Esau and Jacob, but it was through Jacob, the younger son, that the promise of God for the people and the land would continue. And Jacob had 12 sons. One of those sons was named Joseph, and he was mistreated by his older brothers. Uh, But God preserved him through faith, and he rose to power in Egypt. Then after 400 years in Egypt, God promised, uh, as God promised to Abraham that they would do that, God raised up Moses, and the people were brought out of Egypt, and then after 40 years in the wilderness, God raised up Joshua, and the people went in to possess the land of Canaan, the land that God promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that is when the promise of Abraham was finally fulfilled, long after Abraham was gone, buried in a small cave in Hebron. Now, you can go watch the Prince of Egypt or you can go read your Bible and get these stories, right? But these are history. This is truth. These things really did happen. And think about Abraham being promised all these things and and, and yet dwelling in tents, never owning any of that land except for that small grave, which, by the way, just makes me think about that. We put so much stock in the things that we think we own here in this world. You know, the Bible talks about how we are sojourners, pilgrims, exiles, living in this land, that our true home is heaven, and that we are just passing through here. And so whatever you own here is like a tent. It's temporary. It's not meant to have any sort of permanence. And so, yes, what a wonderful thing, say, to own your home. That's That's great but it's still a tent. As you live in these fleshly bodies and, and you have all these clothes, they're, they're really just clothes to put over your tents. And, and, and you know, when you die, you're not gonna own that home. You're not gonna own all of these clothes, all of these possessions that we put so much faith and put so much stock in and so much identity in. These are all gonna be gone. You know, as Ben said, you never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. And the only portion of land that you're going to own when you die is that maybe a little jar if you get cremated or that little plot of land that you get buried. And otherwise, everything that you think you have and is yours, it's not. And all those clothes that still hang in the closet, they'll go to your children and your grandchildren and your grandchildren will wear it when it's vintage. But right now, all of that is just masking over these tents that are just passing through. And so where is your faith? Is it in the temporal, in the material, in the things that we have in this world, or is it looking forward to so much more? In verse 12, it says, therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. If you think about it, Abraham didn't really possess much in terms of inheritance because of his faith. And so often when we think we have faith, we think it's some way in which we demand things from God. Look, God, I have faith, so what are you going to give me? When in reality, faith might not actually be for you. We, We become so egocentric in our faith Do you know if you live by faith and you just be faithful, it might not actually be for you, but it might be for future generations, for your children and your children's children, that by you walking by faith, by you being faithful to the promises of God, you might not see the fulfillment here in your life, but your children and your children's children will see it because you were a person of faith. We become so self-centered in our faith, and we learn from Abraham that he was looking toward his descendants. And I've often wondered why there's this precise use of language here, where there's the stars of heaven and the grains of sand, or, or as it says in Genesis 13:16, "The dust of the Earth." There's these two images, one of heaven and one of Earth, that both describe the descendants of Abraham. Now, perhaps it's poetic in a way of saying the same thing in two different ways, or perhaps it is because there is both physical and spiritual descendants of Abraham. Abraham was first promised descendants like the dust of the earth in Genesis 13. But then 13 years later, when Uh, God announced the birth of Isaac to Abraham. He said, go out and look into the stars and and see the promise that I've given you, that your descendants will be uh, more numerous than the stars of the heaven. And so that revelation was shown in the sky, in the heaven. And so these separate promises, maybe it's the same thing being reiterated, or it might be understood as a reference to the two kinds of descendants that Abraham has. You see, Abraham has a heavenly line, as numerous as the stars of heaven, which includes all the spiritual descendants of Abraham. And that fits with what Paul says in Galatians 3.29, and if you are Christ, speaking to both Jews and Gentiles, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. But there's also a heavenly line, as innumerable as the grains of sand by the seashore, which would include all the physical descendants of Abraham, which is the Jewish race. Because Paul states very clearly in Romans chapter 11, verse 11 through 12, that despite the formation of the church, which the church is, the spiritual descendants of Abraham, where he takes both Jews and Gentiles who believe in Jesus Christ and creates one whole new man and calls it the church. But God is not yet finished with Israel, the physical descendants of Abraham. And contrary to what some have taught, the church has not replaced Israel. As the writer of Hebrews said earlier in the letter, the time will come when God will fulfill the new covenant of grace with the house of Israel. The coming together of these two lines, God's plan for Israel and God's plan for the church, will be fulfilled when the city to which Abraham looked with faith comes. If you notice, I skipped Hebrews 11.10 for the purpose of coming back to it. Because it says, for he, Abraham, was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And that is not talking about the physical land of Israel, nor is it talking about the city of Jerusalem, as wonderful of a promise as that has been for the physical, physical descendants of Abraham. No, Abraham was looking forward to a better land of promise, one that all of his descendants from all the nations could dwell together in perfect peace. Do all the nations, do all the descendants of Abraham dwell in perfect peace in the city of Jerusalem? No, nor will they ever, this side of eternity. And look, there there is a war happening right now over this very thing. And this is a spiritual matter, and, and God is involved in what is taking place right now in the conflict that is happening in the Middle East. And it grieves our hearts. It breaks our hearts to see war. It, it puts an ache in our soul to hear of children dying. And there is coming a day when no longer will it be said a child will die in its young age. And no longer will it be said that a man dies before his time is old but that we will dwell in perfect peace, in perfect harmony. And this is talking about the new Jerusalem that will come down with the new heaven on the new earth. And Abraham, by faith, could see that promise up ahead for his spiritual descendants. Abraham saw at the start of the Bible in the book of Genesis the same thing that John saw at the end of the Bible in Revelation, and they saw a city whose designer and builder is God, the city on whose gates will be written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel, the city on whose foundations will be written the names of the 12 apostles." And at the end, we're going to read from Revelation 21 so that you can see exactly what I'm talking about. But Abraham was looking for something better when he came into the land of Canaan. And and while the land of Israel is great, and it is a promised inheritance for the Jews, and I'm so bummed that we're probably not going to go in April, um, but here's what we need to realize. God has a special plan and place in his heart for Israel because, you know, Jesus was born in Israel, and Jesus lived in Israel, and Jesus died in Israel, and Jesus was buried in Israel, and Jesus rose again in Israel, and Jesus said that he would be coming back, and you know where he's coming back? Israel. Israel. Yeah, amen. Israel is very important to God's redemptive story. Absolutely is. The Bible teaches this. And so in no way do I want to diminish God's promises to Israel, but I do want to say this, because Hebrews 11 tells us this, there is something even better that is coming. And Abraham was looking forward to that better land. There is a greater land of promise for the Jews than the land that they have right now. And it is a promise that invites into it every Gentile believer as well. And in the same way that God blessed Isaac and Ishmael, there is a blessing for all in Jesus Christ, who is a descendant of Abraham. See, Jesus is the promised Messiah for the Jews, and He is the Christ for the Gentiles. Jesus is the Savior of the world. And you can come to Him today to receive your inheritance in him. How? By faith. By faith, Abraham saw a city where all of his faith descendants will live permanently in that dwelling. Again, this city has not yet come. And the only way to enter into this city is to come by faith in the Son of God. And you must be like Abraham. Who understands that in this world you are but a tent dweller, a sojourner in a foreign land. That this world is not our final home. Israel is not the permanent dwelling place for the Jews. Heaven is our home and Jesus died and rose again to go and prepare it for us. And verse 13 says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised but having seen them and greeted them afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Don't you love those words? These all died in faith. Let that be said about you at the end of your life, that when you breathe your last breath on this earth, which the Bible says your life is but a breath, but when that last breath is given, Will it be said of you, he died in faith or she died in faith? These all died in faith, not having received the thing's promised. And this is the reality for every single person since the time of Adam. There are promises that are waiting to be fulfilled for us that can only be fulfilled in death. And these promises have been seen by many with faith throughout the ages. Namely, that is the promise of heaven. And the New Testament begins with Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, stating that Jesus is the descendant of Abraham. And we read in the Gospels that as Jesus walked among this earth, he said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He didn't say, I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because he's the God of the living and not the dead. And those patriarchs are alive and well with Jesus right now because they finished their race of faith and received what was promised. Jesus is the object of our faith. And if we have faith in Jesus... When we die, that is when we really live. If you believe that Jesus is your God and Savior, then you will be with him in this city that he has prepared for those who love him. But you must acknowledge that you are but a stranger in exile on this earth. This place is not our home. Heaven is our home and it is a better country. Verse 14 says, for people who speak thus, make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. This verse brought me so much comfort because when I was preparing this message, I was thinking about how, how I'm writing out all these biblical truths, and these are the things that I'm going to be sharing from God's word, and, but will there be people here on Sunday who will be thinking what in the world is this guy talking about? What is he saying? But I took so much comfort in those words because it says, people who speak thus, because I speak in this way, it is because I've made it clear that I'm seeking a homeland. God has spoken to us in his word that that when we die, we will appear before God as our judge. And, And for those who believe in Jesus Christ, heaven is our home. And I'm seeking a homeland. And I speak in this way You know, I speak about the promises of God for Israel and for the church. I I speak about heaven. I speak about the death of Jesus Christ, a Jewish man who died the most brutal capital punishment that was invented by the Romans. In some way, his blood covers my sin for the forgiveness so that I can enter into fellowship with the living God. I speak thus this way to make it clear that I am seeking a homeland. This world is not my home. Heaven is my home because I believe in Jesus Christ. Do you? Amen. 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 If they'd been thinking of that land from which they'd gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. I pray that today this would have informed you of God's plan of redemption for the Jews and for all nations, but that this also prepared your heart to desire that better country, that heavenly one, that very soon we're going to see Jesus face to face. Think about that. If you believe in Jesus with faith right now, and faith is believing in something you have not seen, and yet you have a deep conviction and a deep assurance that is true. None of us have ever seen Jesus, but by faith, we believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. And so if you are seeking Jesus by faith, I cannot wait for that day when I see him face to face, where I see him as he is, and I will be made like him in resurrection glory. Can't wait for that day. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time. I pray, God, that as we enter into a time of worship and communion, God, we would seek this better country, the city whose designer and builder is God. Thank you, God, for your word and for the ways that it's produced faith in our hearts today for us to follow you more and more. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.